Welcome to Episode 3 of Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine Committee of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Dr. Adria Adabani interviews Dr. Faith Quenzer on her journey through emergency medicine. We're here for the first series of podcasts on women leaders in emergency medicine. We're being recorded at AEM 2019 in Vegas. So today I have Dr. Faith Quenzer, who is a PGY4 at Desert Regional Medical Center. She is currently the Women in Emergency Medicine co-chair. She is an RSA at large board member. She's a diversity and inclusion committee member. She is the Cal AAEM resident representative. And we are very pleased that she was willing to talk to us today about some of her experiences as a female emergency medicine physician. Hello, Faith. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, good. So tell me a little bit about your experiences um, just so far being a female emergency medicine resident. How's that been? Found it easy, hard, somewhere in between? I would find it somewhere in between. I think the women leaders before us really paved the way for our success as female residents in emergency medicine. They brought more awareness to the difficulties and the challenges that we face. For example, just being recognized as a leader in the resuscitation room was you know, difficult at first, but as the nurses get to know you, get to know your breadth of knowledge and your ability to be that calm center point in the, this whole chaotic resuscitation room, um, they, they do lean on you. And so it, it is hard at first, but as people get to know you, um, I think they can overcome those I guess, intrinsic biases that they have of women being leaders and being at the helm of the uh, resuscitation process or even in running the the whole entire emergency department. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit before where there's this sort of dichotomy in our society. It's really sort of in emergency medicine, you have to run the room. You have to get people to believe in you. They have to absolutely have trust in what you say, and they have to want to do what you tell them to do in order to take care of the patient. And I think that sometimes it's difficult in our culture for them to recognize that a woman is actually going to be in that leadership role. So in emergency medicine, I think it's a little bit different and sometimes a lot more difficult for women to have that sort of acceptance of themselves in that role than say in internal medicine or in nephrology or rheumatology. There's not so much of the running the head of the bed type of scenario that you see in emergency medicine really sort of focuses the fact that society has not completely come to terms with having a woman be absolutely in charge, especially when it really, really matters. Right. Do you think that emergency medicine as a whole has changed? With respect to gender bias, just in the time that you've been in medical school and in training, have you noticed some changes that have been apparent to you just since you started, or is it really just sort of the same? I think there has been progress, actually, and it's very promising. 
whether we like it or not, women comprise of a little over 50%, if I'm not mistaken, of school class. And so whether or not medicine is ready for us and emergency medicine is ready for us, we are going to fill those spots. We are going to be taking helm of the future of emer- you know, emergency medicine and even as medicine as a whole because just because of sheer volume and exposure. And so that actually makes it a little easier for us, just having the exposure and being in medicine. I have some wonderful colleagues who decided, you know, medicine as a second career, or they've decided to have children in medical school and in residency. And, and so we're, we're getting used to that. And so... I guess the idea is, now, now what? What do, what do we do to make things fair for people? Have you had any um, great supporters, great mentors in your time in medical school and in, in training that were really amazing cheerleaders and encouraged you to go forward and to succeed in your career? Oh, absolutely. So my first mentor was actually... Dr. Megan Mercer, who was one of the former presidents of RSA, and Mary Haas, she used to be uh, Mary Calderon, they were really pivotal. I mean, they were female presidents, along with Leanna Wen, too, who really paved the way for, like, okay, these are female emergency medicine physicians who are filling the spots, and they're leading in a national organization, so... You know, AEM has been great in, like, mentoring me into this and into the current roles that I I have right now. I also have male supporters, too. Like, my current program director is Joel Stillings, and he's absolutely supportive, amazing. He is one of those he-for-she's, basically. He's always looking for ways to, you know, promote what the females are doing in our department and a lot of them have leadership positions or APD is female our department chair right now is female so there's and then our I think our two chiefs coming up our rising chiefs are two females so lots of women in leadership roles yeah absolutely did you ever want to do anything uh besides be an ER doctor mm, well so I had a very very um I came to medicine later in life, so I, I did all kinds of things. So I did research in the lab. I did, you know, I, I formulated my own mentorship program with at-risk youth in San Diego, and that was fun, too. I did that for seven years, and then I decided, you know what? I like, I like medicine. I like teaching. I like being a doctor. I like science. Let's combine everything that I like and do it. And so I was married at the time, and I still am. And, I, you know, my husband has been 100% supportive of just my career throughout the, every stage of it. So, yeah, I've been very, very blessed in that, in that sort of sense. We talked a little bit earlier um, before we started recording about the fact that you have a three-year-old at home and one more on the way due in June. So what's that been like being a uh, a mother and pregnant resident and how have you managed to keep your life organized and sane on top of all that? I'll give you one thing. (laughs) It's definitely not organized 
but you know, I, I do carry a planner with me and that helps. Uh, but saying, I don't know, I have to, I actually just have to redefine what I think is acceptable. So if the dishes are, haven't been done, if the room hasn't been cleaned up, so what? Did I get my six hours, seven hours of sleep? So I think the way we need to start thinking about these things is not, we're not trying to reach perfection, we're trying to reach, I guess, a sense of this is good enough without dropping the quality of our work and prioritizing the things that are important. So what's important to me isn't taking my son to Disneyland. It's more important to me that I spend that like 10 minutes with him doing something meaningful, whether that's coloring like, you know, puppies in a book or watching Paw Patrol for like 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, th those things mean something. And it doesn't mean that I have to spend money or do anything special. Sometimes it means I just take a walk with him and I ask him how his day is. That and you've avoided sleeping for the last, what, four years? <laughs> As a resident, yes. <laughs> so what were some of your reasons for working hard to have a leadership role in emergency medicine? You know, I feel like when you see that there's a need for something, for example, you know, I saw a need, oh, you know, it would be great to do podcasts just to get our voices out there, just to get our stories out there. And to, we all have these stories that are so relatable, and yet we never get a chance to share them. And so what I, what I think is important is that, you know, women in emergency medicine, we can connect with each other um, in a meaningful way by these podcasts. We can um, share our stories and empathize and know that we're not alone in our fight for our jobs and just the fight for finding balance and sanity in our families or even, even just getting that promotion. Those are things that are very important to me, and so when I see that there needs to be something done about it, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and I love how uh, AAM is. Like, if you want to do something, there's so many ample opportunities to fill in that space to do it and, and to see that project grow. So we got this experience, too, with Cal AAM. You know, we started the first Cal AAM EM symposium, and it turned out great. I mean, which you organized wonderfully and was fantastic. Yeah, it was it was great. I mean, people had fun. They learned a lot. Um, you know, <laughs> Dr. Brian Potts is amazing. He just is. He just he just went with the flow. Um, even though there were some times where we we're like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. But I mean, everything worked out really well. Right, and I saw a lot of young faces in the audience, a mm -hmm. lot of medical students, uh, a couple of residents. Yeah, a few residents came. A few residents, but a fair number of medical students, um, I was happy to see that they were there, and they just seemed to be soaking up the atmosphere and really sort of taking in a lot of the discussions about gender bias and some of the hurdles that the female faculty members um, were willing to talk about. I thought it was actually pretty amazing. We really loved your lecture on uh, bias, especially in academics. And so, you know, we're trying to, we're looking at this less and less female professors are in the upper echelons of um, academics. And so something needs to be done about that. And first thing to do is to bring awareness to it. And I think 
not many people knew about that. Both my male colleagues and my female colleagues, they just didn't know. Right, I think it's a statistic that isn't talked about very much. Yeah. Full professors, chairs, and even all the people that are in the C-suites of the hospital administrations nowadays, for the most part, about 85% of those people are going to be men. So yeah. tell me, if you had one piece of advice for your younger self when you started out, what would it be? Hmm. So one piece of advice, I think the one piece of advice is to basically regret nothing. Sometimes I feel like we carry around this baggage where, oh, what if I did, you know, what if I ran for that? Or what if I do this? Or what if I fail? And it's just, well, you'll never find out unless you try. So I think that's one piece of advice I would have given myself. My other favorite question. <laughs> Did you ever get in trouble when you were younger? You get in trouble in high school, grammar school? Anything you can actually talk about on a podcast? I never got caught. So <laughs> I was never in trouble. <laughs> Did you jump off of that? Uh, no. Did someone see anything? Maybe. Okay. Were you well, always a straight-A student, absolutely perfect student? No. No, n not always. Not always. And that's okay. Yes, it is okay. <laughs> Anyone ever try and talk you out of going into medicine? Yes. You know, ironically, my father-in-law, who is an orthopedic hand surgeon, graduate of Mayo Clinic, and it's like, oh my goodness, the most illustrious thing ever. Um, but he's, he was like, this is hard. You know, patients are hard. You're up all the time. You're never with your family. And he gave an example of how, you know, my husband, when he was younger, was asked, oh, do you want to be a doctor just like your dad? And then he would, you know, resoundingly say, no, I don't want to be a doctor because my daddy's never home. And so that really imprinted in his mind, like my father-in-law's mind, like, oh, yeah, you know, I feel guilty for not spending enough time for my family. And, you know, when we look back at it, you know, my husband says, you know, my dad did the best he could with the time and the effort that he had on his plate. Like, we know just how busy he is and how demanding his career was, but the fact that he would spend five minutes baking brownies with us after a shift was amazing. And he remembers those times. And so it's, again, it's not about quantity. It's about the quality of time that you have with your family. And so even though that's kind of like a regret, like you don't have the quantity of time, but you can mentally put away the effort into your relationships with people that matter. So your family, your, your spouse, your kids, you know, spend that 5, 10, 15 minutes, even if it's a routine thing like baking brownies or going outside to play catch. These are things that the kids remember. And, you know, to them, yeah, you're a doctor, but you're still like, oh, I, that's my loving dad still, you know? And so, you know, I like that. I carry that with me, even though, you know, my husband said, oh, and there's no quantity of time. It didn't matter. It was the quality that he had with his dad, who was doing 100 hours a week. 
anything I didn't ask you about, anything you really wanted to talk about today that I didn't ask you about? You know, I think just our trajectory um, as a group, as a as female physicians in emergency medicine. And I feel actually very hopeful. You know, there's more of us um, in medical school, and that should, you know, pan out to more of us in emergency medicine, and then more of us in academics, more of us in leadership. I really feel like we just need to keep going, you know, keep pushing and breaking those glass ceilings, you know, and promoting each other. There's this concept that's going around, I don't know, like in Twitter, <laughs> about, you know, having your fellow otters, like having your raft and not letting people float off or float away and that we're better together, we're more successful together. And that really is the... I feel like the crux of successful female leadership, our leadership style is just exactly that, where we want to see everyone to, you know, successful female leaders want to see everyone succeed. They want to see fellow female leaders succeed. And so they'll, you know, we will actively promote females who fit the bill. They are able to lead. They have all the qualifications just as other male leaders but for whatever reason are overlooked. And so we need to keep doing that and keep pushing for that and um, looking for ways to promote each other because that's the only way I, I believe that we can get more done as far as equity in the workplace, you know, and inspiring the future generation of female leaders too. So, Dr. Faith Quenzer, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us on the podcast today. I really appreciate you telling us about some of your experiences and some of your perspectives. And it's been really nice getting to know you a little bit better. All right. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm so glad that we got this podcast launched. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, please visit our website, www.aaem.org. While you're there, check out other podcasts produced by AAEM and find all episodes of Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine under the Resources tab and then Publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.